And if you have your Bible with you, please turn to the Gospel according to Luke. Today we are beginning chapter 8, Luke chapter 8. We'll be looking together at Luke 8, 1 through 21 today. So if you have your Bible, please turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there are some Bibles in the backs of some of the chairs from the row in front of you. And if you use one of our chair Bibles, that text from Luke 8 can be found on page 864. And then once you have your place there, kind of use your marker that you have or whatever you have that you can hold there, leave your finger there, and then turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9 will be our Old Testament reading. And if you're using one of our chair Bibles for that, it will be on page 151. So it's Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9 for the Old Testament reading. And then Luke 8, 1 through 21 will be the New Testament reading. And the scripture will be read today by Eric McIntyre. Deuteronomy 6. Now this is the commandment, the statues and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Luke chapter 8. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came, out, came to him. He said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, and so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed or puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, 
and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us by your Son. We thank you that your word has come all the way to us. And we ask that today you would help us to take care how we hear, to be careful how we listen as we sit together under your word. Would you teach us? Would you lead us? Would you guide us? And would you help us to listen with an intent to obey? So would you meet with us now? Would you care for us? Would you keep us by your mighty power? In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever noticed that not all hearing is created equal? Right? We do this. There's sometimes you're in one room, someone else is in another room. You know, they're working on something. You're watching something. And they say, hey, I need your help with... Did somebody say something? Right? But if it's, hey, do you need more of... Yep. Yep. We do these tests on our kids sometimes. Right? It's selective hearing, I think, is what they're, what they're doing. There's another kind of hearing, maybe where you talk with your boss about something at work. There's something that you can see because of your position, something that needs to be adjusted. And they say, I hear you. Thank you so much for bringing that to my attention. And you can tell, even by the way they say that they hear you, that either they didn't really hear you, or they don't care because they're definitely not going to do anything about what you just said. Anybody? Can I, can I get a witness? <laughs> so whether it's parents with children, whether it's wives with husbands, it's probably not so much husbands with wives, whether it's wives with husbands, whether it's training at work. In my, my old job when I used to work at the insurance company down in Bala, a part of what I did would be to train new employees on their technology. And um, not everyone who works at companies is good at technology. I don't know if you've noticed that where you work. And so we would explain things to them that mattered, that they really needed to know if they were going to be able to get into their machine on their second day of work. We say, did, did you hear me? Because some of them are just like, yeah, 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 you're, you're just getting me through stuff. It's like, right, but no, you, you need this. Did you hear me? Oh, yeah, yeah, I heard you. And then they're calling the service desk the next day. It's like, Rob, didn't you train them on that? Yes. Yes, I did. And they, they heard me. And you want to ask again, but did you hear me? Did you hear me in such a way that you're going to do something differently based on what I have said? That frustration that we all feel and, the, and that we all at points contribute to with not hearing when we know we should hear or hearing but saying, yeah, that's not important enough for me to do anything. Jesus doesn't want us to be like that. He identifies with our frustration and he wants us to be different than that. This is a text about hearing. And not about taking a hearing test so like, oh yeah, I heard the beeps. It's a test about listening. As Eric read to us, we heard the words of Jesus in verse 8. He who has ears to hear, let him here. Or again in verse 18, take care then how you hear. 
It's possible to sit here hearing sermons week after week after week, hearing the scriptures read and explained and taught, sung week after week after week. And we we hear it. But is it a hearing that makes a difference? Is it just sound passing by us? Or is it something we are taking in? receiving, responding to, holding on to, and desiring to obey. This text has several distinct sections. We're just going to walk through them really quickly before we get to the big idea. Because some of these don't seem to go... You you say, well, it sounds like you're talking about the parable of the sower right now, which is maybe the heart of the text, but how does that connect to everything else? Well, in verses 1 through 3... We see a summary of Jesus' ministry along with those who accompanied him. So in verse 8, soon afterwards, soon after the incident that we looked at last week with the woman who heard him say, your sins are forgiven you, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages. So Jesus is traveling around to different places and what is he doing? Proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And he has his people with him. The twelve, we expect that. They're his disciples. They were with him all the time. But what might be surprising is that he has several women with him. So that women were part of Jesus' followers made him somewhat unique in his day. These women are playing significant roles, and they will play significant roles at key moments, both here in the Gospel according to Luke and in Acts. So Jesus is going around proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And then verses 4 through 8, we have the parable itself, the parable of the sower, or the parable of the soils. And it is a particular instance of Jesus going around to different cities and teaching about the kingdom. Here's a very specific moment where he is doing that, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, with a special emphasis on how different people hear and respond to the good news. Verses 9 through 15 is the explanation of the parable. His disciples say, what did this mean? And he explains to them what this parable means. And he tells them, it's been given to you to know the secrets or to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, that I'm revealing them to you. But to the others, I'm speaking in parables or in riddles. They remain mysteries to them. And then verses 16 through 18, there's another parable. This one is directed to the disciples about a light. When you light a lamp, you don't put it on the floor or under the bed. You put it on a stand so that everyone can see it. You want the light to shine. And so this is a parable about the importance of hearing the word, the gospel. The gospel is the light. In, in other texts, we are the light of the world, and that's true. But in this one, Jesus is using the light to be a picture of the word. It's like once you've received it, once you have it, you don't go, oh, great, that's so good for me. I'm going to hide it under my bed. You might do that with your money, but you don't do that with the gospel. The gospel is not meant to be kept to ourselves. It is meant to go out to others. So the good news, now that we are aware of it, is meant to be shared. We should let that light shine. Sharing the good news of salvation through Jesus. We don't hear just to hear. We hear in order to obey Jesus, particularly by sharing the good news. Then verses 19 through 21. Another interesting moment where Jesus' mother and his brothers are there. They're outside wanting to see him. They can't get to him because there are so many people around him. And this last part actually connects us back to the beginning of our text. In verses 1 through 3, Jesus is accompanied by the twelve and by several women, specifically Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna. And Jesus says that these people, those who hear his word and do it, They are his true family. They are the ones who are part of the kingdom of God. They are the good soil. They say, your mother and your brothers are outside. He says, my true family 
are the ones who hear my word and who do it. So the big idea from kind of all those different parts is this, that Jesus' true family receives God's word, perseveres in faith, and bears fruit that lasts. Jesus' true family receives God's word, perseveres in faith, and bears fruit that lasts. And we'll see that by taking some time now to look at the parable of the sower. The sower, the seed, and soils. And remember the point, what Jesus is after here is followers who hear his word, who are receiving it, who are persevering in faith, who are bearing fruit that lasts. So this parable is about receiving God's word. He says, it's been given to you to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is about his word and people's hearts. It's to be received, believed, and obeyed. The seed is the word of God. There's an emphasis as we look at verse 5, the beginning of the parable. He says, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, and you'd get the sense like he's, he's trying to talk about something. Because even the word seed sounds a lot like the word for sowed in the original language for all the other ones. So it'd be like you're hearing the same word like four times in about eight words. It's like, oh, this is probably important. What is this farmer doing? What is this seed? Why does this matter? Why is Jesus telling us this story? So the sower sows his seed... And in verse 11, in Jesus' explanation to his disciples, he says that the seed is the word of God. Now, when I hear the word of God, I immediately think the Bible, right? And you're not wrong, so the Bible is the word of God. But another way that the word of God is used, even in Luke, is to speak of the gospel, In Luke 1, verse 2, right at the very beginning in that prologue, he's talking about this truth that was handed down to us by those who were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. And so, sure, these ministers of the word, these preachers of the word, are certainly preaching what is true in the Bible, right? Paul even tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 that the sacred writings, the Old Testament are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. But specifically, it's the gospel. That's the word that they were ministering, or or the way that Paul puts it in Acts 20, as he's talking to the Ephesian elders, as Luke records that story. He says, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. It's a word of grace, a word of salvation. So yes, God's word is the Bible. The word of God is the Bible, and it's fine for us to keep using that expression. But the word of God is also the gospel, the word of his grace. But God's word is also the words of the kingdom that are being spoken by Jesus. Like in the Sermon on the Plain that we looked at for several weeks together from Luke 6, which if you were reading straight through Luke's gospel, would not actually be that long ago. Especially because of Jesus saying, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. He's been talking about what God's people, how they live. Right? What they do, that we love our enemies, that we give and forgive. All these things that are impossible for us to do on our own. James 1.21 tells us to receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. That's right before what we had as our corporate reading today from James 1, 22 through 25, saying, but be doers of the word. We receive the word, it's able to save us. And as we are saved by the word, we become doers of the word, living in obedience to it. 
So what does Jesus want from his followers? What does Jesus want from his hearers? What does he want from us? He wants us to be ones who receive God's word. Brad mentioned earlier as he led us that sometimes we might say, yeah, I received that. But it doesn't apply to me. It must be for someone else. That's an example of someone saying, I receive that. Or, I hear that, but not listening. I hear that, I, I receive that, but I don't need to do anything about it. What sin in your life makes it difficult for you to receive God's word? Or what situation in your life makes it difficult to receive God's word? When Shimri shared with us earlier, talking about feeling like I'm I'm asking for things and they're just not happening, It, it doesn't seem to be being fulfilled. And he told several Old Testament stories that remind us that God doesn't work on our timetable or exactly the way that we would want. What, what situation in life makes it difficult for you, challenging for you, to receive God's word with meekness? As from one who loves you. As from one who gave his own son for you. In what ways are we perhaps like the hardened path? Where the word comes. But Satan immediately takes the word when we hear it so that we cannot believe and be saved. Jesus wants hearers who receive his word. But it's not enough to simply receive it. We must hold fast to it with an honest and good heart. As Jesus says in verse 15. We must persevere in faith. The point of this parable is that, yes, we are to be receiving God's word, and we are to be persevering in faith, that we hold fast to the word, to this good news. It's not enough to hear. It's not enough to receive the word. The word must be met with faith. We must believe the good news of the kingdom And the burden of this parable is that we must keep on believing. Jesus is calling us here to persevere in our faith. That's why there's not just two soils. It's not just the path where the seed never even gets in and the good soil where the seed gets in and there's a crop. There's two more in between that are pictures of faith that doesn't make it to the end, of faith that's revealed not to be true faith at all. In verses 13 and 14, we see Jesus' explanation of the rocky ground and of the thorny ground. Verse 13, the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. Jesus wants us to make it to the end in our faith. And this is actually the primary function of the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. There's a repeated sentence there where John writes, this is a call for the endurance of the saints. We find it in Revelation 13.10 and then again in Revelation 14.12. Revelation 14.12 says, here's a call for the endurance of the saints. Who? Who are the saints? Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. The book of Revelation is not so that we can create charts and timelines and figure out exactly what's going to happen in what sequence. 
It's a call for the endurance of the saints. And John thinks that what we need to know in order to endure is that Jesus wins. That Jesus is on his throne. That he will come for his people. That he will rescue them from every trial at exactly the right time. That he will triumph over his enemies. And as we sang earlier this morning, that he will dwell with us. And we will be his people forever. That's the truth that John and Paul and all the rest of the New Testament writers thought that we needed to know to be able to hold on to the end. This parable is about faith that lasts. And faith that lasts bears fruit that lasts. See, even faith Don't run me out yet right after I say this. Give me like two more minutes after it, okay? Faith is not enough. That is, faith that does not result in works is not enough. That kind of faith is not what Jesus wants from us. This text goes on to teach. We don't just receive God's word. We don't even just believe God's word. Faith must be accompanied by fruit. So it's about receiving God's word, persevering in faith, and bearing fruit that lasts. The point here is that faith without fruit is not genuine saving Faith. You say, Rob, how, how can you say that? Because the Bible does. Like a lot. James 2, 14 through 17. James cares a lot about faith working itself out in our lives. He's, he's the one who wrote the but be doers of the word that we read earlier. And in the very next chapter after that, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith or can that kind of faith that doesn't work save him? And he gives an example. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. It says a faith that doesn't work itself out in obedience to God, in specifically love for Him and love for others, that faith is not saving faith. Or to put it another way, if there's no fruit, there was no root. If there's no fruit coming out of the life, there was no root down in the soil. The commands of Jesus and his apostles in the New Testament are meant to be obeyed. We don't only rejoice in that Jesus has kept the law for us, though he has, and we rejoice. Because even as we endeavor to obey, we don't do it perfectly. If you figured out how to do it perfectly, please come talk with me afterwards, and mainly I'll be trying to convince you that you're not. Because none of us does this perfectly. We rejoice that Jesus has kept the law for us, that he lived the perfect life that we were supposed to live and haven't. And that he paid the price through his sacrificial death on the cross that we should pay but we'll never have to. That is good news. And he guaranteed our life with him forever by rising from the dead on the third day, showing that his sacrifice had been accepted by the Father and that he has power over sin and death and Satan. So that when we read the book of Revelation, we can say, yeah, yeah, he is going to win. Yeah, he is going to come. Yeah, he is going to take care of it all. And he's going to do it all just right, and we're going to be with him forever. We can bank on those promises because Jesus rose from the dead. But we don't only rejoice that Jesus has kept the law for us. We don't just look at the commands of the New Testament and say, good thing I don't have to do that because Jesus did it for me. No, 
motivated by his love and the great forgiveness that we have been shown, we pour ourselves out in love for God and others in obedience to Jesus. The overwhelming teaching of Jesus and the rest of the New Testament is that faith works itself out in the life of the believer. But it doesn't happen passively, right? I just said it passively. Faith works itself out in the life of the believer. And that's true, but it doesn't happen passively. It happens actively. Because we're not told to just sit back and rejoice that we have been justified and just to wait for sanctification to happen, right? doesn't just say, if you just wait a few more years, you'll be better at obeying, just sort of automatically. No, it's something we are to pursue. Jesus calls us to obey. And how does it happen? Well, it happens through our vital union with Christ. A key text for this is John 15, where he's telling us to abide in him. If you abide in me, you will bear much Fruit. It happens through our union with Christ. That even our obedience isn't just about us hearing good news and going like, all right, I got to do it. We are united to Christ. We belong to him. He belongs to us. This is amazing good news. And his life in us is what leads us to live for his glory. It happens through our vital union with Christ. Christ, but it also happens in community. Where does obedience happen? Where does persevering faith happen? Where does fruit that lasts happen? It happens in community. You can think of the multitude of one another commands throughout the New Testament, but perhaps specifically Hebrews 3.13, where we're told to exhort one another day after day so that none of you is hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Or maybe Hebrews 10.25 where we're told not to neglect gathering together, but to encourage one another. That we're called to stir one another up to love and good deeds. I need to be stirred up to love and good deeds. And I'm guessing that you do too. It happens in community. As we're coming together to hear the word on Sundays, but as we're gathering together throughout the week. As we're communicating with one another. How God is at work in us as we're praying for one another. So it happens through our vital union with Christ. Our faith is worked out. Our faith is worked out in our lives in community as we encourage and exhort and rebuke and reprove and all those other things for one another. And it happens with the help of the Holy Spirit. When you became, by God's grace, by His amazing mercy, a believer in Jesus, the Holy Spirit came to live inside you. Jesus promised that He would come. He said, there will be another helper who will be sent. That's why Jesus could say, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Jesus was physically going away. And I don't think they could have borne it if He wasn't going to send His Spirit. But He sent His Spirit. And they became a changed people. And he has sent his Holy Spirit into our hearts to cry out to God as our Father, to guide us into all truth, to lead us in what we should say and what we should do in accordance with God's Word. So when we think about, you know, say we're bearing fruit that lasts, well, what does that even mean? Well, Galatians 5, through 25 is a big help to us here because we have this same picture of fruit being applied to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And he concludes, if we live by the Spirit, 
let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So are you aware of your union with Christ? Are you abiding in Him? Are you walking in community, pursuing help when you feel like you can't take the next step? Reaching out to others when you feel like you're all alone? And are you keeping in step with the Spirit? You see, this is about the long view, right? Jesus wants persevering faith, faith faith that makes it through trials all the way to the end, fruit that lasts, or as Jesus said in John 15, fruit that remains. That's what this is about, and that's what is meant by at the end of verse 15, when speaking of the good soil, Jesus says, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. Patience is actually kind of an odd translation there. Um, Steph and I were talking about this last night. What does it mean to like patiently bear fruit? Um, And I didn't have a very good answer. So as I was studying some more, it's like, well, yeah, and we do need patience with each other, and you can say that, but patience can also just as easily be translated endurance, steadfastness, perseverance, And I think that fits the context much better here than patience does. Certainly the sower needs to be patient in waiting for a harvest, so there is an application there for us. That if we don't see it right away, you know, sometimes we might get excited about the one that pops up right away, right? It's like, oh, look at all that. They're doing so great, but there's no root, right? And there's other ones that are slower, but there's going to be a harvest of a hundredfold. So I think there is an application for us related to that, especially as we think of ourselves of being sowers. But the idea is less about waiting for a harvest and more about persevering, more about holding on to the end, holding fast in an honest and good heart. That's the point. They bear fruit with endurance, with perseverance. They hold it fast. They keep holding on to the word and to the gospel. Now, none of us, again, will do this perfectly, but by the power of the Holy Spirit and motivated by love for Christ who gave his life for us, we will, by his grace, do this. We will endure in faith and obedience. And as we do that, we find that we are not just part of his kingdom, but in his mercy, we are part of his family. The ones who receive God's word, persevere in faith, and bear fruit that lasts. They're not just the good soil, even though that would be good enough. They are Jesus' true family. And that's from the last part of our text this morning, verses 19 through 21, where his mother and brother are outside. And they're saying, hey, your family's here. And Jesus says, my family, my true family, They're the ones who hear the word of God and do it. That's the 12. Well, 11 out of 12 anyway. And that's the women mentioned at the beginning of the chapter. They're the ones who are hearing his word, following him, participating, being with him all the way to the end. Jesus is concerned for us to hear his word, to hold fast to it, and to obey. He says that's what happens for those who are his. This makes us think back again to the Sermon on the Plain right near the end of that. Last few verses of Luke 6, he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? He says the ones who obey, they're like the guy who built his house on the rock. When the storm came, everything was fine. But the ones who hear and don't do anything about it, they're like the one who just built his house on the sand. The house went up faster, and it also came down faster. The ruin of that house was great because it had no foundation on the rock. So as we think about responding to Jesus, we're saying Jesus' true family are those who respond to God's word, those who persevere in faith, and those who bear fruit 
that lasts. We want to think about this two ways. The first is that we are soil. We are one of these four soils. Every one of us here is one of these four soils. Part of the good news of this text is that you don't have to just figure out which one you are. You can change and be a different soil. You don't have to just go, oh, I'm like the path. All the stuff just bounces off me, right? Hosea tells us in a few different places as, as the Lord is pleading with Israel. He says, break up your fallow ground. If you are still living, it's not too late for you to heed that command and break up your fallow ground so that you can receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Perhaps you've never believed in Jesus at all. Maybe you've never taken his claim seriously. What do you need to do? Hear the good news about Jesus. That he came to pay for all your sins and he did it. So hear that good news. Turn from your sins and trust in him. Or maybe you feel a little bit like perhaps you're the second soil, the rocky soil. Perhaps you're in a time of testing. Maybe related to work or not having work. Your family situation where it hurts even to hear Jesus talking about true family because you have physical family that's far from God. Or that even is also claiming to be Christians but you're far from each other and there's pain associated with family life. Maybe you're in time of testing related to family or or not having the family that you want. Like I wish I could have certain family problems that I hear my friends complaining about. Or maybe you're in a time of testing related to your health, and maybe you feel like that's a time of testing that's been going on forever and will go on forever. All those testings can make it where it feels hard to believe in Jesus, where it's hard to hold on to his promises because it seems true for like everyone else here but you. Maybe it's hard to believe in Jesus at work. Maybe it's hard to identify with Jesus at work. Maybe you're convinced you'll lose standing with your boss or on your block or in your neighborhood or, or with where the kids go to school. Jesus would say, hold on. Keep holding on. That very good ending, it's really coming. And how great it is and how amazing it will be like if we're saying like this is this is normal and my experience is is this far below his is like through the roof on the greatness that we'll experience the way paul says it is that the sufferings that we're now experiencing are not worth comparing with the glory that we that will be revealed it doesn't mean that the sufferings aren't real It doesn't mean that the troughs aren't deep. It's not to minimize suffering and say, well, it's not really that big a deal what you're going through. That is not what Jesus is saying. That is not what Paul is saying. Saying, yeah, that, that is really deep. And this is how much greater it is going to be. So keep holding on. Or perhaps you find yourself thinking a little bit like the third soil would be. That's the one that grows up among the thorns and gets choked out. And Jesus describes those thorns as as the cares, the anxieties of this world or riches or pleasures. Perhaps you're being choked by the cares of this world. Perhaps you feel yourself drawn, you are attracted by its pleasures, by money and the security, the seeming security and the influence that it can buy. It's not too late to say no to ungodliness and worldly desires. Grace, according to Titus 2, 
grace teaches us to say no to those things in order to say yes to righteousness and godliness, to say yes to Jesus, looking for our blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. So look to Jesus. He cares for you. He purchased you with his own blood. And he purchased for you with his own blood pleasures at his side forever. He gives lasting, true security. Quite unlike the fleeting pleasures and riches of this world. So look to Jesus. Look forward to his return when he will bring his kingdom in its fullness. By God's grace, receive God's word. Persevere in faith and bear fruit that lasts. So in thinking about ourselves as the soil, are you positioning yourself, as Brad exhorted us earlier, are you positioning yourself day by day to hear the word of God? And when you hear, are you listening? And when you listen, are you not just listening for others? Are you not just listening to learn interesting facts so that you can tell people what you know about the Bible, but are you listening with an intent to do what Jesus commands? The upshot of this text is that Jesus doesn't want half-hearted followers. He wants us to be all in, all the way to the end. He wants us to be that good soil. But in this age, we're not only the soil, we are also the sower. We are also the sower. We have good seed, the gospel. The verses 16 through 18 remind us is like that light that shouldn't be hidden. Jesus says there will be a harvest and we are called to be part of it. We are called to participate in it. That's what's neat about these stories. You don't just have to find, well, here's the one person that I am in this story. We get to be all sorts of people in this story. We're the soil that needs to respond the right way, needs to hold on in our faith and bear fruit that lasts. But we are also, in this age, the sower. We have the precious seed of God's word. And we have the privilege, the opportunity to sow that seed all over the place without regard to what kind of responses we will get. And we'll get all sorts of different responses. Perhaps part of what makes it hard to stand up for Jesus at work is you feel like everyone there is the hard ground that's been trampled over all the time, and Satan's just hovering right there to pick up the word. And so why should I put it down? Do you ever feel that way? Or maybe you've had just enough experiences with people who are like, that sounds really great. I love this Jesus too. And then they don't follow him. And you go, why am I going to plant my seed? The thing is, we don't know because people don't have to stay in the same category, right? Weren't we all at some point the hardened ground? Many of us are tempted to be the rocky ground, the thorny ground. And it's a miracle of God's grace that we are become the good soil. And so that can happen for the people in your life, whether friends, co-workers, family members. They don't have to stay that hard ground. Don't assume that they will stay the hard path forever. The kingdom grows. This is a parable about the kingdom. And it grows as the seed is spread. And when it lands on the good soil, it will bring up a harvest a hundredfold. But the new people of God is not just a kingdom where we're the subjects. So that's more than we deserve. It's a family. Jesus' family. And by his grace, we're a part of it. He's not ashamed to call us family. And it's not just for us. We're given much. Not so that we'll have much, but so that we have a lot to use for God's glory. So Jesus, in this age, sows the seed of God's word through us. In the power of the Holy Spirit. As Paul says in Romans 10, how will they hear?
without a preacher. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But how will they hear without someone speaking that word to them? Jesus has sent us out as laborers into his harvest. So as we sow the seed of God's word, we have his promise that it won't return empty. Isaiah 55 tells us that his word goes out like the rain and the snow. And it will accomplish his purpose. It won't return empty. There will be a harvest. So let's pray that the Lord would send laborers into his harvest. And let's be ready ourselves to be the answer to that prayer. And let's pray for the word, the seed as we sow it, to fall on good ground. Jesus' true family receives God's word, perseveres in faith, and bears fruit that lasts. It's all of God's grace that this is true. Let's hold fast to that word with a good and noble heart. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you. Thank you that you have saved us by your grace through the sacrifice of your Son, Thank you that you opened our eyes by your Holy Spirit to see the beauty of Christ in the gospel. And we ask that you would help us to hold on. To remind us that where we feel like our grip is weak, that you are holding on to us. Would you keep us by your word, by your spirit? And would you help us to proclaim faithfully the good news about Jesus. And would you bring the harvest in your time and in your way. And then one day, Jesus, we long for your return. Help us to love your return. And help that to motivate how we live today, tomorrow, and every day while we wait for you. In Jesus' name, amen.